Look at my butt. Show number 198 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Hi, listeners. Listeners. Hey, we're counting down to the 200th show, and you are all being a bunch of flakes. Really? Well, that that would include me, too, because I actually haven't been thinking about what we're going to do. <laughs> I have no ideas. I've even tried to think of it. I'm like, I don't know. How do you celebrate an event this momentous? I don't know. I There could be... There could be, we could throw a party that is in, like, between me and you in Colorado or something. I don't know. Maybe that would work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, that's about as far as I get, too. I'm like, yeah. All right. That's not a good idea. Uh, well, okay. Well, we'll see what, well, we'll have to come up with something. News. The big news. News. Big, big, big news. Big, bad news. <laughs> yes. Um, they are in the writing stages of the next bad Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. And suddenly rumors started flying that they wanted to have both Bill and Leonard in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the internet basically exploded. And then Bill in his, I believe Twitter, Twitter said, yes. no one has contacted me. Mm-hmm. This is just a rumor. I was so but, happy when he did that. Never <laughs> And I was just like, please, God, let it be that way and let him just say, I don't want to ever do this ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I was I was happy for a day. But <sighs> take it away. Oh, so then um, on Facebook, there was a link to this article that appeared in um, a website called comicbook.com. And Bill actually spilled the beans at Wizard World Nashville. So... Bill said uh, while he was visiting Australia a couple weeks ago, J.J. Abrams called him from London where he's currently shooting uh, Star Wars. Shatner said Abrams told him, I'm calling because the director of Star Trek, the next movie, has had an idea where you might be involved. So I'm calling to find out whether you would be interested. Shatner said he told Abrams, it depends what you do with the character, but I would be delighted. Shatner said that Abrams warned him he couldn't say anything to anybody, and Shatner agreed not to even tell his wife. I don't actually believe that. Um, (laughs) However, when Shatner got back from Australia, he said, it's all over the internet that the director has held an interview and said they want Shatner and Nimoy to be in the next movie. I bet you J.J. is frothing at the mouth at this point. So the news is out that they have an idea that they want Leonard and myself, they might want Leonard and myself in it, but I would love to do it. But how do you get me 50 years later into the movie? I mean, how do you rationalize it? I know it's science fiction, but even I couldn't come up with an idea. So that's Oh, well, I've got an idea. <laughs> As like, you knew I would. And you know, I love that Bill is like, well, I couldn't figure out how they could do it. Therefore, it can't be done. <laughs> well, here's what I think. Okay, go. Okay, he can't be Shatner or Shatner. He can't be Kirk uh-huh. from the real timeline because uh-huh. that guy's dead. Um, and what would be the point, excuse me, of dragging him out of the nexus? Mm-hmm. But in the new timeline, maybe Kirk doesn't die in the nexus or in the, the launch of the Enterprise, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have some hokey time travel thing where old, wrinkly old Kirk... <laughs> 
and his pal, wrinkly old Spock, who is even wrinklier by then because now he's aged to a thousand. No kidding. You know, because he's come back in time as an old man, and you know, um, they come back in time for some reason to to help their younger selves or to tell their younger selves to to shape up and slap them around and make them act like real people. Oh man! But oh. I'm just going. Please don't do it. It would be so bad. And, you know... The worst thing is then we would have to see it. I know. Well, yes. This was pointed out to me. And not only that, I just have this feeling that, um, you know, Bill would be there with Leonard. And I think that having Bill on screen as Kirk again would just make everybody else look like a pale ghost in comparison. Because... When he's Kirk, you know, when he's on and doing it, that's what you want to look at. That's what you want to see on the screen. You don't want to well, see it's device. like when he was on that, that Rookie Blue thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I was thinking about that when I heard this news, and I thought, Bill, you deserve so much better than whatever crap mm-hmm. these guys are going to come up with. Because they have demonstrated now in two movies, they do not know what Star Trek is. They don't know who Kirk is. And so if they write their Kirk, he's going to be an old asshole Mm -hmm. because young Kirk is a young asshole. Yeah, and I mean, old, and he can't do that. You know, Kirk, uh, Bill's Kirk can't be an asshole. I just, no, it just can't happen. No, no. I I think Bill deserves better. I think we all deserve better. And since we're not going to get it. We don't want this half-assed stuff. No. So we will continue to track this story as it happens, but let us all cross our fingers and our toes that it doesn't actually happen. <laughs> oh, really? And, you know, I was thinking, okay, first of all, dump trucks full of money. Yeah, that too. that's true. Secondly, when he says, it depends on what they do with the character, it actually, you can translate that, and it means how many lines does he have. That's true. And how much, in, and how much input does he get to have? Like, they're going to give it to him, and then he's going to rewrite whatever they've written for his character. Oh, of, of course. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, speaking of that, we have a comment on the blog from Margaret, who has just been sending us all kinds of stuff lately, which is relevant, so I'm going to read this. Okay. Um, on, she, she writes, On Conan, Chris Pine said, Trek fans that encounter me are like, well, when we first heard that you were going to play Kirk, we were so scared, so worried. We knew that you weren't going to nail it, but you were so fine, wonderfully mediocre. <gasps> so he actually said that on a TV show. I'm, I'm sure people were laughing but feeling quite uncomfortable because they knew it was true. It's um, so true. So Margaret continues, and that's exactly how I felt. Captain Kirk is deeply weird, and there's nothing weird about Chris Pine's Kirk. Um, and I think that that's absolutely true. And there's nothing remarkable about it. No, not at all. Um, she says, as for New Trek 3, which is supposed to come out in 2016 to celebrate, in quotes, the 50th anniversary <laughs> of TOS, I don't know that I'll see it either. I'll definitely read about it so I can feel righteously angry about how bad it is. <laughs> but it doesn't feel right to give money to POS. She says, I heard someone refer to New Trek at, as POS for a piece of shit. And, of course, it's a nice takeoff on TOS. <laughs> I like that. It is. So we can just call it that from now on, POS and TOS. I do like that. Yeah. I love you, Margaret. Yeah, she's great. Ah, so let's not talk about that anymore because it's, it's kind of making me depressed. Yeah, it's kind of turning my stomach. Yeah. 
Let's go on to something nicer. Gosh, we have so much stuff to go through. What should we talk about next? I want to talk about this very brief thing, which you haven't read, and I think you'll get a kick out of. Okay. Um, this was, it showed up on my Facebook, and it was shared by one of my friends, but the original person, uh, I, I don't know them, but their name is semicolon, comma, period. <laughs> I think this was on a, a Twitter feed, but anyway, it says, So, I tried to read Fifty Shades of Grey this weekend. <laughs> But every time Anastasia said, oh my, which is like two to three times per page, I couldn't help but imagine George Takei saying, oh my. By page 12, I imagined everything Anastasia said was said in George Takei's voice. Oh my God. By page 15, I just imagined George Takei was Anastasia. I had to give up somewhere around page 17 because Christian has started to sound and look like William Shatner, <laughs> Captain Kirk circa Star Trek TOS. And after that, I imagined everyone wearing Enterprise uniforms and there was no way the story was going to come back from that. Oh. And here's the kicker. I didn't even make it to any of the sex scenes. <laughs> much better story had it been with those characters in there i'm sure well i just got the biggest kick that out is of so that. funny yeah well i will <laughs> never read that book but if i ever read any excerpts from it and she says oh my i will definitely be hearing it in my head oh yeah that's great um i had read something somewhere um on twitter or tumblr where people said that um besides rep- repetitious things like her saying oh my um her, her, her character gets embarrassed or whatever, and her face flushes a lot. And it's like on every page. And one time the, the narrative described her face flushing while she was in the bathroom. And that proved com- completely confusing. It's like, uh-oh, what's going on here? She flushed in the bathroom. <laughs> well, that's a perfectly normal thing to do in a bathroom. It's true, but I don't think the author meant it to actually be that. But it made me laugh and laugh and laugh. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I really, really enjoyed that little thing, and I was so glad when it showed up, and I knew I had to share it. Oh, that, that is great. Um, well, here's another real quick thing that we can talk about, and I think I mentioned it on Twitter, and maybe you did it on Facebook, but there was a Next Generation reunion yes. um, in Chicago Comic-Con, as a matter of fact, so they were in your neck of the woods, and LeVar Burton took a great selfie of all the people who were there, so there's Patrick Stewart and Jonathan mm-hmm. Frakes and um, Marina Sirtis, and in the middle of it all... There's Bill. Yep. For no particular reason. He's just photobombing. And the best part about this picture is the expression on his face. (laughs) It's true. Everybody else is smiling and sort of like going, oh, look, they're taking a picture of us. And Bill just looks like he is a deer caught in the headlights. He's not looking at the camera. He's sort of looking at something beyond wherever LeVar is holding the camera. And he just looks so out of place. Like someone just plopped him down into this thing. Like, wait a minute. I wasn't in a show with these people. <laughs> why, why is everybody looking at that camera? What's, what's going on? I don't really understand it. It's so funny. Well, somebody who saw it po- pointed out, they said, I think Bill looks Photoshopped. He does. He really does. Like somebody, <laughs> he wasn't really even there. pasted him in. Oh, my um, God. It's so funny. Yes. But the reason he was there was he was moderating the discussion. Mm-hmm. And it was very expensive to go, which is the reason I did not. But I know John Tenuto did, and I believe he posted a few things about it, and there have been some postings about it. 
on um, the Shatner Facebook, and I just saw something. I haven't had time to look at it. That at least part of it is up on YouTube. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, I think it's also part of a documentary Bill is making mm-hmm. because everything is part of a documentary of Bill course. is making. He's filming everything he does. Yep. But this is just a great, great, great picture. It um, really is. <laughs> the caption, uh, I'm looking at it on the Mary Sue, which is one of my favorite websites. And um, it says, the chat didn't just wander in off the street to dazedly photobomb this TNG reunion. <laughs> and it says they were all participating in a panel. But yes. yeah, he looks pretty dazed. And he does look like he just came in off the street and was like, what? What's going on here? Yes. Um, and I think they're doing another one of those panels, but I forget where. Oh, okay. That's cool. So, so that's a new business to be in. Yeah. Um, CreationCon is happening again here in the San Francisco area in December. Mm-hmm. And um, our good pal Logan asked me if I wanted to go with him because he's never been to a Star Trek convention. <gasps> oh, my goodness. And he wants to go, but he didn't want to go alone. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll go with you. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go to that with him. And, of course, I'll do a full report. It, they haven't gotten too many people lined up yet. I think Kate Mulgrew mm-hmm. is the big draw right now, but they'll always be adding people. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you if Bill was going to be there. But... Well, he could. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that was All great. Right. Well, let's talk about that uh, little commercial. Oh, the commercial. Oh. oh, my goodness. I looked at that and I thought it was the cutest, funniest, most heartwarming little thing. Yes. It made me smile. Oh, it's wonderful. It's just so good. And um, I think the best part was that they took that one track from his, um, what's it called? Looking for Major Tom or something. Yeah. That record. And I think this was one of the best things that was on there in terms of, you know, material. Because Bill Mm -hmm. did such a a goofy job of recording it. And um, it, it is exposing that to a whole bunch of new people. And it's so fitting for this little ad that they, they did, you know? I thought it was something new. Like, I looked at it, and I was like, did Bill do something new? And then I'm like, no, that's the song from the album. That's actually a good one. And it, well, it, we should probably describe what it is. Oh, it's yeah. a travel ad. Mm-hmm. And this little girl has a, a koala bear teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack is Bill doing uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. And you see her, you know, playing with the bear, and the bear ends up in the swimming pool, and the bear ends up in the washer, and all kinds of things happen to it, and eventually it loses an eye. But then they take the bear on vacation with them. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so cute and so funny. I mean, there's shots like the bear on its own little lounge chair, (laughs) and the sunglasses are broken, so it's only got one side over where he has an eye. And he falls in love with a little... Is it a pony or a unicorn? It's a little unicorn doll, yes. Oh, it, it's just, it's so wonderful. And here's Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> going on in the background. And it was like, who made this? This is great. It's wonderful. It's so good. Um, there was a really nice piece about it at uh, Ad Week. So Ad Week is pretty good about um, oh. analyzing that kind of media. So um, here's what they had to say about it. Um, let me just skip a little bit of this. Um 
Thompson, Thompson is the name of the companies, it's Thompson Holidays. Thompson wants you to take a vacation that washes away the slings and arrows of your everyday life in the waters of the Caribbean. And in this spot by London agency B.D. McGinnis Bungay, what a name. Really? Um, it woos you with a version of the Velveteen Rabbit and as a neglected one-eyed teddy bear learns to smile again by vacationing in Jamaica and falls in love with an off-label My Little Pony. <laughs> Uh, frankly, the cute bear story would have been pretty darn good without the Shat Man. Um, it's beautifully and carefully considered and shot, but somehow Shatner's reading elevates the work from a potentially slapstick exploration of the damage popsicles can do to plush into a surprisingly emotional journey that will have you feeling for the trials and tribulations of an inanimate animal. Very true. Yeah. I thought that was just sweet, and it's really nice. And, you know, Bill hasn't been promoting this very much, which I thought was kind of weird. I had, I hadn't heard of it at all. So you sending me the link was the first I knew. Yeah, it just it turned up in a feed that I was getting about, you know, like media and advertising, I think. And that was where I, I saw it just like so far outside. And usually, you know, when Bill has a new commercial or something, he talks about it all the time and it shows up in different places but maybe because it was british also it, they're not showing it in america it's a british right movie. yeah but yep yeah, it's awesome it's really awesome very cool yeah um okay next <laughs> next okay I, I was just looking at my my list to see uh what we wanted to to do or or what what do you want to do i mean you've got a list i've got a list okay well everybody's got a list we, they're just lists and lists and lists um i just wanted to mention this picture that was posted on uh the shatner facebook for the throwback thursday that picture of him at marine world in his, yes his wetsuit um there's something about this picture that's just it makes me laugh every time i look at it and i think it's <laughs> partly because of the expression on his face <laughs> He doesn't look happy. He looks very unhappy. He looks a little angry, like maybe a little sunburned. He's just been out there for too long because he's got his arms folded. So he looks sort of like, I'm grumpy. Maybe he's being grumpy Captain Kirk in this picture. I don't know. Um, do you know, do you have any idea why he was at Marine World in Vallejo in 1987? Was this for a Trek movie? I don't believe it was for a Trek movie. Um, he was just swimming with the whales, just for kicks. <laughs> well, you know, we've seen the picture where he's like giving a kiss to a porpoise or a dolphin yeah. or something. Um, so I don't know if it was, you know, um, wet circus of the stars or something. <laughs> I have no idea. There, there was no context given for this photo at all. It was just posted saying, here's Bill at Marine World in 1987 wearing a wetsuit. Yep. <laughs> And you know what's cracking me up is his wetsuit is, um, I just happened to see a Seinfeld episode the other night where he was talking about in the future, they figured out clothes. Everybody will have the exact same outfit. Mm -hmm. And he describes it as what Bill's wearing. It's a Lycra one-piece jumpsuit with the V. Yes, the V. Here is an interesting Trek connection. Mm. Uh, you know, Colonel Green in the yeah. Abraham Lincoln yes. episode, remember his outfit? Yep. You know who else wore that outfit? Who? Robin Williams. <gasps> really? In his first appearance as Mork from Ork, which was on Happy Days. Yes, I remember that. He wore that costume. Wow. And when they gave him his own show, they, you know, made a new one for him that, that was specifically made for him and fit perfectly. Mm -hmm. 
but um, apparently that is the alien costume that it, everybody goes for. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I, I can say one more thing about this picture of him at Marine World is that I wish that that picture could have been taken maybe 10 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and that Bill didn't look so pissed that off. That he didn't look so pissed off. He's, yeah. he's, got, he's got a bit of a pudge going on there, I got to say. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It happens, it, you know? I know, it happens. <sighs> okay, so that was a thing. Why that was... Well, I'm, just, I'm going through things. Why don't you pick a thing? Okay, I want to read a little bit from fan mail. Oh, yes, please. Um, here's an, an, interest, an interesting little bit of useless Trek knowledge, as uh, she calls it. This is from our friend Amanda. says, I often work with the series playing in the background and recently noticed this gem. In the episode by any other name, the one with the Kelvins that turn crew members into cubes, Scotty and Spock devise a plan to blow up the ship to stop them from advancing past the Great Barrier. When they tell Kirk, he is horrified. Blow up the ship? Are you mad? (laughs) How many times did he threaten to do so? I guess it's only bad when it's not his idea. I think that's exactly right. Um, It's always a good idea when it's Kirk's idea. Always. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, in the news, like a month or so ago, and I meant to bring it up, they've discovered there is a barrier at the edge of the galaxy. Oh, really? Yes, wow. scientific news has discovered this. Not, you know, bullshit. Crazy, you know, speculative stuff. And I'm just going, does it, you know, should we send all our, our telepathic people there to see if it makes them into gods? Oh, that would be awesome. I bet Lockwood would volunteer to go. <laughs> They'd have to pay him. They would, and, and it would be more than $5,000, but he'd go if they paid him enough, I'm sure. Because then he could say he'd done it, right? He is the right. true Renaissance man, so. <laughs> but he can't make a souffle. He still can't make a souffle, and he can't juggle either. He can't but. juggle. He can't juggle. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, speaking of Lockwood. Yes. One of the other articles I read about the upcoming debacle, Star <laughs> Trek POS 3, um, they were saying something, you know, that obviously they're not going to go on and do their own story like they should be doing by mm. now if they were confident in what they're doing. And so they're going to rip off another episode. Oh, please. And I can't remember what they said that led this person to speculate that it could be one of these particular five episodes. I think it was because it had a very strong guest character. And, of course, one of them was Where No Man. Mm. <laughs> All I could think was, oh, my God, seeing what they've done to Kirk, I can't imagine what Mitchell is going to be. Oh, my God. He's going to be like a pimp or something. I don't know. <laughs> what, like, how could they How could they make him even more obnoxious and self-centered and, you know, more of a jerk than he already is in Where No Man? Well, the thing is, you know, with Benedict Cumberbutt playing Khan, um, the interesting thing is when you think about it, Khan was really the only person in the movie, who was operating from a core morality, mm-hmm. which is you're going to use my people mm-hmm. and I have to defend them and this is what I'm doing. So they totally, you know, did a flip-flop on Khan, you know, even though he was technically the villain because he was opposed by Kirk and company. Mm-hmm. But honestly, he was the one who I thought had a rational reason for what he was doing. Yeah. 
I totally agree. He did. He actually did have a reason, and they didn't resolve any of that by the end of the movie either. No, they absolutely did not. Which, anyway, but so God knows, you know, maybe they'll make Mitchell into a priest or something. <laughs> he'll be cruising down the Enterprise, checking out the souls of people who go by. Oh my God! Okay, that's really funny. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that at all. Making him into a priest—that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's completely awesome. Okay. Okay, now here's a, a story, and like a dope, I did not even write down who sent us this. Oh, it's from Margaret. Oh, good. Okay, um, so uh, Margaret found this because she was reading the comments on Bill's Facebook page, and I occasionally, I missed this. She says, I saw a comment about the book Room for All of Us, wherein Adrienne Clark tells the stories of people who immigrated to Canada. One of these narratives focuses on Fred... Build, B-I-L-D, mm -hmm. a Holocaust survivor. Here's the relevant excerpt from the book. Even though he was not part of the Montreal Jewish community, there was one Jewish person who had a tremendous influence on, his, on him. His mother sent him to a Benai Brith camp in the Laurentians, and William Shatner was his camp counselor. Wow. His mother must have been quite shrewd because she realized that he would do things in camp that he couldn't do in school. Shatner used to give him special lessons in English and had him act in a play. By the time September came along, after six weeks at camp, Fred was able to speak English fluently. Wow! <clears throat> he has never been in touch with William Shatner to tell him how important he was to him in his early life in Canada. What a great story. Right. And then here's Margaret says, I can easily imagine Bill would be the world's best camp counselor. Oh, yeah. And to learn English from him, well, who better? Uh, yeah. The only bad thing would be that you would get a couple of words wrong, like if you had to say <laughs> sabotage. <laughs> well, and I still cannot remember what word it was Bill made up when he was talking about um, his one-man show. But, yeah, there would be a few words that other human beings don't use. But still... I, I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great, great story. I, and yeah. I can, you know, Bill, you're right, and Margaret's right. Bill would have been the best camp counselor because he just, you know, even that young, I'm sure, he was just so interested in people and mm -hmm. finding out what they wanted and what they needed and what would be the best thing for them. I can totally see that. Oh, yeah. His, you know, his incredible um, energy yeah. and, and, like you say, his interest in, in people, and I can imagine him, you know, figuring out that, you know, having this guy act in a play is going to help him with his language and overcome, you know, whatever, like, shyness he might have because he didn't speak English as, as well as the others. I just, I think it's a wonderful story. Oh, that's true. Now, here's a question. Mm -hmm. um, do you think it was the kind of camp where the boys and the girls were in separate camps and then there was a lot of, like, nighttime visiting between the camp counselors? Um, I don't know. I do know from having heard something else that it was the same camp that Bill went to where he mm -hmm. acted in plays. And when he got older, he was a counselor there. So, yeah, it might have been separate camps. And, you know, at night, the counselors would row across the lake. Yeah, exactly. The girls camp. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So that's going to be my headcanon for this is that it was, in fact, like that. And they did have to row across the lake. And Bill was really good at rowing across that lake in record time. <laughs> So very true. Yeah. He was very popular with, with both camps, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. 
yeah, I could see that. <laughs> But I just really, really like that story. Oh, and it's that's... a little tidbit to fill in, yeah. you know, one of the, the gaps in our knowledge of everything Bill has ever done. So, Camp Counselor, another media counselor. Another media counselor. Oh, that's amazing. That's so amazing. Um, I would like to now uh, read a little thing about Star Trek conventions. Yes, please do, ma'am. Um, so this was a site, um, there's a site called Fan Lore, which I think we've mentioned once before. Mm-hmm. And it's all about uh, fandom, and a lot of it is about Star Trek fandom. And there's a section here called Reminisce With Me. And these are uh, fanish memories from people who have been involved in fandom for a long time, taken from lots of different places. And there's a woman there who is profiled, and her name is Nancy Kipax. And she was very active in early, early Star Trek fandom and went to a lot of the early conventions. And at one point in her life, she decided to um, record all of these memories that she had so that people would know what it was really like to do it. And she did this um, in – she was very sick, and she did this in her live journal in the last months of her life before she passed away. So this is a, an incredibly valuable resource that we have, mm-hmm. her memories. And I've read through several of them, and they're so good. But I wanted to mention this one in particular because I think this is a great story. So I'm going to take some um, excerpts from it. And, of course, Bill is mentioned in here. Oh, of course. So um, this was about a a convention that happened in um, summer or fall of 1981. So this was just after Wrath of Khan had come out. Um, So she says, a group of fans in Texas had decided that they were going to put on the biggest and best Star Trek convention in history. As I remember it, they hooked up with a convention promoter, um, an entrepreneur whom they trusted to run things. They called the massive event the ultimate fantasy, and they rented out not only a large portion of a downtown Houston hotel, but the Civic Center Auditorium, where they planned to mount shows on the Saturday and Sunday of the con. Their guest list included every one of the original cast except for Leonard Nimoy, who was apparently the only one with sound business sense, Um, (laughs) but also featured performers from Wrath of Khan. So Merrick Buttrick, Kirstie Alley, B.B. Besh, and producer Harv Bennett. They offered different package plans. Um, There was a gold sponsor and a silver sponsor level, which entitled you to everything but some special perks. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. She says, everything started to unravel almost immediately. (laughs) People arriving at the hotel on the night before the con heard strange rumblings about money problems and a much lower attendance than the promoters had planned for. The early cons in New York had drawn like 14,000 people. Um, Perhaps it was because the Houston location was a long trip for anyone other than the devoted fan. The con was expensive, even if you didn't get one of the larger package deals. It was summer, and Houston was hot as Vulcan. Um, Whatever the reason, the fans just didn't come forth in great numbers, not enough to pay for everything that had been contracted for, plus the appearance fees of all the guests they had invited. Those guests started arriving, expecting to pick up their checks before they went on stage, and it soon became apparent that there was no money with which to pay them. At this point, the con committee, made up mostly of longtime Star Trek fans, were running all over the place trying to find the man who controlled the money, the promoter with whom they had been working, but the man was nowhere to be found. Mm. So, con attendants woke up on Friday morning to a convention to find that the hotel had slipped notices under their doors, informing them that they would have to come down to the front desk and either pay or check out. (gasps) Many of these people had already paid for their rooms to the convention, but the hotel hadn't received payment for the rooms. Oh, so um, things happened. Um, 
people who had paid through the convention had to either pack up and get out or pay the charges a second time. Friday was a down day with only the dealer's room open and no scheduled shows as all of this horror show unfolded. Even the dealer's room was in jeopardy of being closed down. But this is where it gets good. Harv Bennett arrived in the midst of all this and quickly perceived what was happening and took charge. He rounded up the performers, everyone was there except for William Shatner, who was scheduled to arrive Saturday morning, and spoke to them all. He felt it wasn't fair to the fans who had innocently come expecting to be entertained. Harv had a very strong sense of Star Trek fan base and what it meant to the franchise. He also had a strong sense of decency and fairness. At the end of that first day, it was announced that he was going to talk to all of us at what had been planned as a scheduled press conference. He had soothed and pacified the stars, convincing them that they all had to go on with the planned activities and shows at the auditorium, whether or not they got paid. Uh, the convention committee members had promised to pay what they owed. It just could not be at that weekend. Harv called everyone together and took the helm with all the aplomb of Captain Kirk. His first words, in fact, as he stepped out to the mic, were a modified quote from the latest movie. He said, as of two o'clock, I am taking control of this ship. <laughs> and his audience laughed, releasing the tension. Um, Harv Bennett wasn't the only hero that weekend. Over at the Civic Center, the sound and light crews were getting to walk off because they hadn't been paid either. Merrick Buttrick took money out of his own wallet and paid the tax. His mom lived in Texas, and his family was coming to see him, so the show was personally important to him. William Shatner, for all of his misgivings, came on, out on stage at the Civic Center on both days and carried that audience in the palm of his hands, making everyone laugh and sigh and understand why we were fans. Um, Nichelle Nichols sang Beyond Antares. They had all pinched in like troopers and given us more than their time or talents. Um, so... That's what happened. Um, everybody that kind is, of isn't that amazing. Everybody just kind of pulled together. All of the stars went on despite not getting paid when they were supposed to get paid. They did get paid later, but mm -hmm. you know, not at the right time. And Harv Bennett kind of just took control of the whole convention. That is such a wonderful story. It's amazing. So that's what it was like in the early days. I mean, uh -huh. how, how different could it be now, right? When we yeah. get to these creation cons, but. That just amazed me that all that happened. And Bill mm -hmm. came and he did his thing and he charmed everyone, you know. With uh, his charm and hotness. With his charm and hotness, yep. I love that story. I, I think that is a story that shows some of the best of fandom, mm -hmm. the best of the performers. Yep. Um, it certainly set, speaks volumes about Harv Bennett. Yes. Um, that he understood how important the fan base was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, word of this was going to get around. And there was no way the, the performers were going to look good, even though none of it was their fault. Yep. If this convention fell apart, you know, and I mean, the conventions, the, the fans getting together and doing things was a huge part of Star Trek, especially yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, that, has, that was what had pushed those, that first movie, which was crappy, but it made money. And that's why they were able to make Wrath of Khan, yep. which turned out to be a great movie. And that's what I think really uh, breathed life back into the TOS aspect mm -hmm. of Star Trek. Yep. And, and you know, can you, I think he really recognized the, what was happening there and how important it was to fix it. That these fans had come and, and the committee people had done this organizing and it wasn't their fault, right? It was this, mm -hmm. like, scammy promoter who had taken yeah. off with the money and he wasn't around and what were they all going to do how awful would it have been if 
people had refused to perform and the fans got kicked out of the hotel and it just yep. exploded. It would have been awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, that you had, had read that blog. You sent me about, you know, about it and I've read quite a bit of it too. And I did, I did read that story and I loved it. Yeah. So I'm sure our listeners will appreciate Yes. How good that is, too. I will put in a link to all of them, and I'm mm-hmm. going to see if I can find um, another one that has a really good story like that. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure that there are lots and lots and lots mm-hmm. of stories. So um, there you go. So that's a cool thing. Star Trek fandom history. Important. Um, now, I want to share something from a couple of people who asked us not to use their names. Mm-hmm. But it's so wonderful, and they did say we could share it. Um, these two people were recently married. And the bride made a Star Trek <laughs> wedding topper mm-hmm. that is so delightful um, because it's the captain's chair. And it's got the little details of the buttons and everything. Mm-hmm. And the groom, instead of being a bride and groom outfit, you know, is in the gold shirt and everything. And he's sitting in the chair. And she's in the, the blue mini dress thing, you know, uh, sitting on his lap. She's got a little veil. And the, the nice thing is... <laughs> It actually looks like them. It's so cute. And I was just so pleased to see this and so happy for both of them. Mm-hmm. I, I love that picture. It is the cutest thing that I ever saw. And I was like, oh. Yeah, they're, they're looking at each other. And, you know, another thing I was thinking was, okay, even if you're not into Star Trek, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a personal, like, wedding cake topper mm-hmm. that actually looks like you. Yes. Whether you are in, you know, traditional bride and groom outfits or, you know, whatever your theme is and everything. But it, to have to have it be really, really yours, I think, is amazing and, and lovely. And we send our congratulations. Yes. That was just awesome. Love it. Absolutely love it. We do love it. <laughs> um, let's see. So how long have we been talking? Oh, it's been a while. Um I have a couple of very short things which we could do, and then we could take our little break. So, okay. So we do that. This is um, one of them is Trek crap. So um, I can tell you about that. I, th- I think I did send you the link. This is the Star Trek Spock oven mitt. Yes, I have to get to that link because I didn't have it open because I wanted to be surprised. Yes. Um, so this is sold through Think Geek, but I'm actually looking at it on the Amazon page, and it says "Live long <laughs> and don't burn your hands." <laughs> Uh, it retails for $25, but you can get it at Amazon for only $15.99. Uh-huh. Here's what it says. Move hot pans and dishes with Dr. Spock's trademark <laughs> Vulcan grip. So there are so many things wrong with that sentence. <laughs> Dr. Spock. And it's not the Vulcan grip at all. It's not that. No. Um, durable and heat resistant. Make sure you don't end up in sick bay. Uh, unique shape and memorable appearance make it easy to find. <laughs> yes, perfect. I don't know. I have many things in my home that are uniquely shaped and have memorable appearance, and I can't find them. So here's what it says: um, On the Starship Enterprise's maiden voyage, the sick bay found itself overrun with victims of curious palm and finger burns. They complained that their food was going to burn if they didn't retrieve it quickly. When asked about an oven mitt, they would drop to their knees and scream, "But where?" over and over again until sedated. 
It was then First Officer Spock came up with the idea to use his trademark symbol of peace and prosperity as a unique design for an oven mitt. The design would keep his crew from getting burned because it was easy to locate and was made of strong, durable, heat-resistant material. There's a reason Spock was a science officer. <laughs> the Star Trek oven mitt is made of 100% cotton and is lined and filled with 100% polyester. Not only does this oven mitt protect you beautifully, it also greets you with a warm Vulcan sign of peace. No longer will you have to choose between burning your food or burning your hands. The Star Trek oven mitt is too unique and too awesome to be shoved in a drawer. You'll have it displayed where everyone can see it. Get the Star Trek oven mitt. Cook well and prosper. And don't burn your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can I just say I don't want one of those? Uh, I wasn't ever going to get you one of those. Um, Good. And so I had to go to the customer reviews, and the very first one says, it is not an oven mitt. <laughs> Looks cute, but it is 17 inches high and 8 inches across at the knuckle. Maybe the manufacturer confused oven mitt with a soccer goalie's <laughs> mitt, but only for a really big goalie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the first review said, this is a disaster. Well, that's close enough, saying <laughs> yes. it's not an oven mitt. Oh, dear. So it's huge. It's a really, really big oven mitt. Oh, okay. So if you're a giant cooking, a giant Trekkie and cooking. Yes. um, And here's another review. So this one gave it four stars out of five and said, very fun. I would recommend it for a Trekkie. I got it for my daughter and she loves it. I thought it was separated between the fingers, but it is not. Therefore, the rating. So she took off one star because it wasn't separated between (laughs) the fingers. Oh, Big news yes. before I forget. Yes. I, a couple weeks ago, Sarai put up, or her dad put up a new episode oh, review. Oh, great. Now, this was from that, that other newish series, mm-hmm. and it was a sequel to Mirror, Mirror. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and apparently, you know, if you haven't seen them, Sarai's recaps are a little sketchy sometimes, <laughs> but that's part of their charm. Um, and apparently it all takes place on the Mirror Enterprise. And uh, at one point, <laughs> um, Mirror, you know, Spock has taken over the ship and, and he says, uh, at the heart of every revolution, there is one man with an idea or whatever it is. And, and evil Kirk says to him, who told you that? <laughs> and of course, Spock says, you did. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> So anyway, she does have a new one up, and everybody should go watch it. Oh, that's so funny. I just want her to get back to our TOS. Oh, yeah, and... me too. Me oh. too. She's so wonderful. Okay, one more thing, and then we'll take our break. Um, okay. This is of interest to uh, people who read Star Trek comics, if there are any people who read them. So um, IDW, the publisher, who now has the license for all of the Star Trek comics, is publishing hardcover collections of every Star Trek comic ever made in chronological order. Now, when they say chronological order, that doesn't mean the order that the comics were published. It's by the internal chronology of the actual stories. So this first collection that they've just put out is about the early years of the Enterprise with Christopher Pike and Number One and Young Spock. Ah. So it's a bunch of different comics from a bunch of different places done by different artists and different writers that all featured the early voyages of the Enterprise, and that's what they're going to do, go from there to, to I don't know where they're going to end it, but it's going to 
put all the stories in chronological order, whether they make sense or not, of course, because all of these stories are not really related to each other. And Mm -hmm. over the years, people have come up with lots of different things happening. But I think it's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, And gosh, you know, if they're going to reprint every Star Trek comic, it's going to be boxes and boxes and boxes of hardcovers. It's like, true. That thing's never going to end, man. They've been doing so many different Star Trek comics. Yep. It's, it's crazy. Wow. Yep. Hmm. And these are all like original stories, not comics of episodes, right? That is correct. Yep. These are original okay. stories. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And they have some pages. The place where I'm looking at it has uh, some uh, illustrations from the pages so you can see how the art differs and what some of the storylines are. So I'll put in a link and people can go look at it. Yeah. Um, it could be an interesting thing. It could be. Yeah. Boy, I'm staring at that oven mitt and it's just... <laughs> Apparently, Spock, unlike us, has um, like three knuckles on each finger. Yeah, it's one of of them's down on the hand. (laughs) It's a really weird oven mitt. Yeah, really weird. Really weird for when you're making really weird food. When you're making plomique soup. Yeah, that would that would do it. Yeah. All right, let's take a little break, and then we have such a great discussion topic. Oh yes, you're gonna love this. You're gonna. Want to stay tuned. So we'll take a break and be right back. We'll be right back. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. We love our listeners and we love hearing from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Check us out on Facebook, too. Still recording on the trusty MacBook Pro. So, listeners, get ready. This was a topic contributed by um, one of our listeners named Catherine who actually appeared on my, my other podcast, my comics podcast, a couple of times. Um, and she is just such a clever and creative person and always thinks about things from a new angle. So this is what she said to me. Um, she said, listening to the podcast, and you'd mentioned how, as a woman, if you didn't want to be Kirk, you wanted to sleep with Kirk. Which, yes, totally true. Although, honestly, I was more of a Spock girl myself, because I totally go for the tall, dark, nerdy, and slightly dorky-looking over cool. But, honestly... Would Kirk have been a good lover? A good fuck, certainly. Oh, hell yeah. But a good (laughs) lover? Someone that confident? Well, let's just go ahead and say arrogant in the way that a space explorer obviously must be. Wouldn't a guy like that pretty much just figure, hey, I'll just show up and you do all the work? So I had a good think about this, and I I wrote back, and I said that, uh, well, I'll I'll say what I think, and then you say what you think. Okay. And and maybe we'll have different opinions on this. Uh, I said I didn't think that he would be a bad lover because I think he is very arrogant sometimes, and I do think that he has a tremendous amount of ego and self-confidence, but I also think that when it comes to interpersonal relations, He's not arrogant in that way with women, and we haven't really seen him be that way with women. 
And I tried to think of all the times in the show where we see him, you know, interacting with women, and he never comes across as like a selfish asshole with women. He no. certainly tries to impress them, and he's very flirty, and he can be um, aggressive, but I don't mean that in like a an, an, a bad way. But mm-hmm. you know, he'll go in for the kiss, or he'll 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 grab a woman, but it's always when she seems like she's ready for that to happen. So he's right. not forcing himself on women, um, and when we've seen him with women that he knows. And I gave the example of Miramani, you know, when they're like kissing and everything, Uh he's just like the best kind of, I want you to have a great time lover that you could possibly imagine. That's the way it seems to me anyway. Well, um, and I have to agree with you there. And one thing that, that she didn't mention and you didn't mention, you know, was the, the confidence, the sometimes arrogance, all of this. Kirk is also a romantic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, certainly McCoy is, but Kirk is as well. And because of his position as the Star Trek captain, um, I think he ha- that's one of those things, no beach to walk on, that he has to soft pedal that mm-hmm. and keep that down. But certainly I think you do see it in the Miramani episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and I think... And I, I like that she distinguished between being a good fuck and being a good lover. Mm-hmm. Because being a good lover is more than being good in bed. Mm-hmm. It's being an attentive person, mm-hmm. being genuinely interested in the other person and caring about what's going on with them, not just sexually, but in, in the rest of their life. And it, you hit it right on the head that he he wants her to enjoy this too. Mm-hmm. And... um his his great enthusiasm, <laughs> yeah, you know, for for every. I mean, you you see his romantic his romantic side sometimes when he's talking about the stars and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can also see it sometimes when he's looking at a woman, and it's not definitely not a leer, but it's not even ooh, you'd be hot or something. But that he is looking at a woman in an appreciative way, mm-hmm. and so. I think yes that that he would would be a good lover um as, especially if if you know what was going on was more than a one night stand then it's a good fuck mm-hmm. but you know if if uh if a woman was the type of woman who would be in a long term relationship with him and the two of them clicked yeah I think there would be a great communication between them in bed and out of bed. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's right. And I further said that, um, for me, it's really hard not to have my view of what Kirk would be like colored by Shatner. Because, oh, me too. Because Kirk is Shatner so much. So mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be Kirk if it wasn't Shatner and everything that we've ever read, heard, been told about Bill is that he's really good lover, not necessarily that, you know, he can keep it up for 12 hours or whatever, but that he just loves women so much. And he, he, he loves to make them happy. He he loves loves pleasuring them. He does. He loves sex and he, he just loves to be with women in bed and make them happy. And I just can't imagine that Kirk would be that different because there's so much overlap between, Mm -hmm. between them. So I, I can't take that out of the equation, you know? Right, and I think that that's one of the really sad things about, like, the Miramani episode, 
is because of his amnesia and the situation he's in, he can finally give free play to that aspect of himself. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's still a leader. I mean, they, they more or less tell him he's a god, mm -hmm. but he's a leader also in that he's inventing things to help the people, you know, and, and things like that. But he can also give free play to the part of his his self that wants to connect with a woman mm -hmm. in a way that he can't as a starship captain because you can't have that connection with a member of your own crew, mm -hmm. Absolutely. much as you might like to. Mm -hmm. And he's not really in one place long enough to really have that connection with somebody who isn't a member of the mm -hmm. crew. Right, exactly. So it's, it's, I, I think that's, I mean, obviously he loves Miramani, but I think that, that part of that, why he did fall in love with her and build this life with her was something deep down inside of him said, go for it, boy, because this is the only <laughs> chance. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, Dude. yeah. Yeah. So, um, all of that being said, um, I, 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 I think he would be. So, I wrote some of this, but not all of it, because I knew we were going to have to talk about it. And then she mm -hmm. wrote back and pressed me a little bit further. So, here, here goes part two to this question. Okay. She says, hmm, you know, I hadn't even thought in terms of Kirk as a boyfriend. I was thinking, Kirk on shore leave and, hey, what's your name there, beautiful green lady? Those are two different Kirk sex experiences, I'd think. Mm -hmm. The boyfriend situation, okay, I do see your point, even as just Kirk, that he'd be ferociously devoted and utterly attentive. I think in the one-night stand situation, though, when he's being an alpha dog on the hunt, there still would be an element of I'm God's gift going on. So that got me thinking, you know, in the series, we don't ever really see that. We know that he's interested in that, right? Like when in Wolf in the Fold, when they're on the planet, you know, he's definitely looking to pick up somebody. Mm -hmm. But we don't see that happen and we don't see his interaction. And the closest that I could kind of find, and, and maybe you can have a better example, is when he has sex with um, Dila, the Scalosian lady, Right. Oh, well, you see, there's a difference there because the Dila thing is is also covered by, I mean, colored by him trying to more or less distract her with his fantastic lovemaking yeah. so he can save the ship. The one I was thinking of uh. that we do, I think, see some of that is um, uh, Dagger of the Mind. Hmm. When he and yeah. what's her name Lenore are like picking each other up at the party, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think you see that, and I think the the thing is that's interesting there is she takes that ball and runs with it much faster than he does. You know, through speech about so strong and surging. Are you like mm -hmm. that? You know, but I think we see that, and is <laughs> he's almost outrun by her. <laughs> that's true. So. I, I wish I could think of any others, but they're really, they don't put him in that situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. but they, they imply it that he, that's what he does when he's on shore leave is that mm -hmm. he's looking for some attractive woman. So it just made me think, you know, that is a different situation. He's not a boyfriend. He's just yeah. a guy who's looking for um, a hot lady to have sex with when he's out there. I still don't think that he's the kind of guy who would just lay there and expect his date to do all the work. I just can't that, see him do that. No, because that's that's not Kirk. Yeah. Kirk, Kirk is a leader. Kirk is a participant. Kirk is an action-oriented individually, <laughs> vigil. Um, so, 
yeah, he would he would definitely be. Um, I think he would he would very much appreciate when a woman is the aggressor, the mm -hmm. initiator. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, he would definitely not hesitate to step up to bat and 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 you know, like you said, like she said, just sort of lay back and let her do the work. I don't think that's yeah. I, I just I don't think he thinks that's really a good time. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I really I mean there would there would be you know probably physical response and everything, but I don't think it'd be really satisfying. Yeah, I I don't. I just don't see him interacting because he, the way he interacts with everybody, and again, this is coming too from the way Bill interacts with people, is that mm -hmm. he's genuinely interested in other people, even if it's something that someone that he's only meeting for, you know, two hours. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like they're just there to serve a purpose for him. You know, he's, he's sensitive to that. Well, and you think about when he did raw nerve and you think about with brown bag wine tasting, mm -hmm. he never sat there and said, um, okay, tell me about this wine or tell me about your childhood or whatever. And then sat back and listened. Yeah. He, it was a conversation with him and he would, you know, take it in other directions or he would say, oh, tell me, tell me more about that. I want to understand that, you know, he, and so conversation wise, he's not the sit back and make the other person carry the conversational ball. And I think that is an indicator of, of how you relate to other people sexually and, and every other way there is of relating. Yeah. The only way I could see his, his ego and his arrogance kind of coming out in that one night stand situation mm -hmm. is that he... He wants to make sure that this woman is having the best sex she's ever had. Yes. Because... He, he wants to be memorable. He wants to be memorable. <laughs> he doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to be coming in second. He doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to be second place to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever experience he's going to give her, it's going to be the best experience because he is the best. He is the best. Yeah. You've had the rest. Now try the best. Yeah. So the person I could see laying back and letting a woman do all the work or a man for that matter would be Mitchell. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mitchell's a whole different animal. He is. I mean, he, he would totally be the kind of arrogant bastard who would go out there and get, you know, getting on with some woman and just being like, okay, I gave you your orgasm. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, well, I could also almost see him going up to a woman in, bar, in a bar and saying, today is your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, so anyway, so I am, I would love to know if people have other takes on this. Yes. Um, if they have other examples from episodes or they mm -hmm. just have other thoughts about how this kind of thing might play out. But I just cannot imagine a, a, even a one night stand where he isn't the leader and the action guy and just mm -hmm. given 110%. Yay team! Yeah. Yay team! Exactly. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think. Yes, I think he would be a very good fuck, and I think he'd be a very good lover. Yeah. Both of and uh, and 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 all the all the all the different uh, connotations and meanings you can give to that. Yes. Oh, it's great. Okay, so that's that's our big topic. So please, people, if you have comments, weigh in. We need to hear what everybody thinks We need about to this. know. Yeah. Yes, indeed. This will be good. Okay. Now, let's talk about that thing that just got posted to our Facebook page. Oh, okay. Oh, I have to get that open again. Okay. Okay. Uh, our, our, our good and wonderful, wonderful friend, uh, 
Maynard uh, just posted something to our page maybe an hour before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get to it now. Here we go. He posted a photo of a magazine cover where it says Leonard Nimoy speaks out <laughs> on LSD, religion, and dirty movies. <laughs> and of course, you and I were like, dirty movies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Maynard's comment was, this is an interview I want to hear. I bet the dirty movie is Bill in Alexander the Great. Oh, yes. Butt cheeks. Lots and lots of butt oh, cheeks. Oh, yeah. Those, those adorable butt cheeks. Um, and there, there were comments. And somebody... Oh, here. And Maynard then posted a link to the actual article that was in this magazine. And what was the magazine called? Did we find out? Oh, yes. It's called uh, TV Star Parade. <laughs> yeah. And that tells you the level of journalism yeah. <laughs> looking yeah. at. And um it was nineteen sixty something, right? Yeah, like it must be sixty seven or sixty eight. Right. Pretty he's got early. his Spock bangs in the picture. He's not mm -hmm. dressed as Spock, but you know, he's got that haircut going on. And uh and so this this person interviewed him. And just even just scanning it, Leonard sounds like a really pretentious jerk. <laughs> he took himself very, very seriously in those days. I, I think the, the Spock thing just got to him, really. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, and the, and the dirty movie thing, of course, was extremely disappointing. Mm-hmm. Because he had just done a movie. What was it called? Do you see? Oh, it's called Death Watch. It's a film by Jean Genet. Okay. And, and, uh. Do you want to uh, read his very pretentious, uh. No, go ahead. Because I can't quite find it. Okay. I'm getting there. And if you're there, go on. Let's see. Um, it starts off by saying, um, Leonard is a new breed of actor. And as with David Hemmings or others, such newcomers tend to be mild in their spiritual or religious views. They are products of today's society, and the current trend is away from religion. Leonard, again, is an exception. Conscience makes, con conscience, sorry. Conscience makes us mortal, he said. Thus, doth conscience make cowards of us all. Without conscience, we'd be animals or simply creatures acting strictly according to our urges and desires. I believe that conscience stems from man's acceptance and acceptance of and belief in a deity. Since Death Watch was an outspoken, utterly frank picture that could not have been made ten years ago because of then-existing taboos and restrictions, Leonard seemed a suitable spokesman to give a rebuttal to those individuals who claim that movies are becoming much more vulgar. I believe that, in motion pictures today, we are seeing the widest possible choice of material in that we're seeing films which are made for sheer entertainment to satisfy the needs of people who do not want to go to the theater to think or be aroused or educated, but simply to be entertained. There are also some excellent films being made which deal very realistically and penetratingly with the nature of man. Some people may find these vulgar. On the other hand, others find them quite stimulating and therefore look forward to and are excited about them. Uh, at the very lowest scale, there are, of course, some films which are made entirely for sensationalistic purposes, which stand in a class by themselves and need not be discussed any further. Ooh. 
Yes, sir. And that's all he has to say about these movies. Yeah. And that's a good flavor for uh, the way he's talking here. And who knows how much of it is, you know, the interviewer putting words in his mouth mm-hmm. or taking what he said and making it sound a little more highfalutin. I don't know. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a long show. Mm-hmm. Because I just remembered something else I really want <gasps> us to talk about. Okay. This is an article that appeared on... Uh, well, NPR. Oh, yeah. The thing about atheists? I saw oh, that. yes. Okay. So it was headlined, Why Atheists Need Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. And I read it, and I went, this person doesn't know what he's talking about, about religion mm-hmm. or Star Trek or Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, before we get to the, the meat of it, that this article was roundly slammed on most atheist blogs that I read by people oh, who good. actually know they're like... And they were all pretty much going, what the fuck? Like, what's what's he talking about? I don't even know what he's talking about here. So, yeah, nobody agrees with this. <laughs> yeah, well, he's going, I'm pro-science, but I'm against what I'll call Spockism. Mm-hmm. After the character from the TV show Star Trek, I reject the idea that science is logical, purely rational, that it is detached and value-free, and that it is, for all these reasons, morally superior. Spockism gives us a false picture of science. Well, you're giving us a false picture of... Well, anyway. So, you know, he, he goes on. Part of what Spockism gets wrong is that science isn't one thing. There's no science party or scientific worldview, nor is there one scientific method advertising to the contrary notwithstanding. Now, okay, there is no science party. Um, and if he had said science isn't political, I would agree with him. But he's, I, I don't know, he's really fucked up. Spockians like to pretend that science has proved that there is no God. I have never heard this. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to find the part about Captain Kirk. Yeah, um, and I think he's actually very wrong when he says, nor is there one scientific method. There kind of is. Yeah, that's why it's called the scientific, the scientific method. And, you know, science isn't a thing. It's a process. It's the way you do things. It's doing experiments to verify so that you don't just take things on faith or you don't just assume stuff. You actually have to, you know, prove it as well as you can and replicate your results so that everybody can understand what it is you're doing. So, yeah, there kind of is. Yeah. Well, here's how he closes his article. The big challenge for atheism is not God. It is that of providing an alternative to Spockism. Uh, We need an account of our place in the world that leaves room for value. What we need, then, is a Kirkian understanding of science and its place in our lives. The world, for Captain Kirk and his ontological followers, is a field of play, and science is a form of action. Was this this written as a, a... Oh, what did they call those things where you'd say, give me a verb, give me a... Oh, Mad Libs? No. Yes. Was this written as a, as a Mad Lib? Because it's just words strung together. It is. I totally don't understand what that means at all. It's just... And and here's, here's the thing. So back in this article, um, he's, he's saying that... Uh, where is it? For in a Spockian universe, there is no such thing as nature. There is just, there's no such thing as nature. There is just <laughs> material process, particles, and fields in the void. Nor for the Spockian is there any such thing as wonder, not really. For what is an emotion but a conjury of particles in the nervous system? 
Who believes this? Who says this? I know. This? Yeah, this is it. He's arguing against something that nobody has made the argument to be argued against. It's ridiculous. So I'm really happy that down in the comments, and there are almost 600 comments on this, <laughs> just about all of them are like, wow, talk about a straw man. Where exactly are all these spockists that you're talking about? You know, thank you. I've been a working scientist for 20 years and an atheist for much longer, and I have yet to meet a Spockian as described in this article. So, yeah, it's just this one guy who yeah. has this completely weird view of what atheism is and what what Spock is all about because he obviously doesn't understand anything about Vulcans. And, or science. Or science. <laughs> you know, and... The idea that science is purely rational, blah, blah, blah. Spockism gives us a false picture of science. So, like, when has when was Spock ever like that, you know? Like, mm -hmm. his whole thing was about you should reason things out logically, but he never denied that emotions exist or that wonder exists or that beauty exists. I mm -hmm. mean, that's, that's kind of important to Vulcans. It's like their whole – it's their thing. It's the balance. Yeah. It's just not being a slave to your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the interesting things as you watch the episodes, there are episodes where it is played and scripted as Vulcans do not have emotions. Mm -hmm. And there are episodes that are played and scripted as Vulcans suppress their emotions or do not express them because, mm -hmm. you know, emotions lead you down uh, the path that almost killed them. You know, their passions mm -hmm. were so, so strong. So, and that's a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the the if you, you know, look at the canon of the show, it started off being that they don't have emotions, but then realized that that, that was not very good, like as character and right, as story not development wasn't going to work. And so gradually they introduced this idea that, yeah, Vulcans do have these very strong emotions, but they learn to suppress them. And that's, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. So whatever got said in those early episodes was just like, uh, well, we really don't have our shit together. So yeah. <laughs> ignore but that. To, but to say something like, to equate scientists or some scientists with this Spockian thing that he says it is, is to say either these scientists do not have emotions or do not value emotions, mm -hmm. neither of which is true. Yeah. And I mean, all scientists that we know of are also human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether they're atheists or not, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're all doing science and they all... It's ridiculous. Well, and that's his other thing, is he seems to equate science with atheism and vice versa. Yeah. So, therefore, if you are an atheist, you cannot believe anything that you haven't proven with your own two hands and two eyes. And, and you're, you're, you know, you're all going to be mathematicians or scientists. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be artists. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, going to be teachers. You're not going to be garbage men or whatever. You're, you know, it's, it's very limiting. If you're an atheist, you've got two careers, scientist, math. That's it. And this really annoys me as well. Um, he says, atheist, insofar as they are followers of Spock, which none of them are, so I get that. <laughs> um, have an explanatory burden that religionists don't carry, that of explaining how you get meaning and value out of particles, or alternatively, that of explaining why meaning and value are an illusion. Who thinks that meaning and value are an illusion? And who says that we atheists have this burden to it's, prove anything? I know. It, like, 
The burden is on the people who believe in fairy tales. I know. It's ridiculous. (laughs) When when people say, it's like, oh, you're an atheist, you don't believe in anything, so life has no meaning. Right. How how do you even get that? Like, where? How do you get to that logically or even mm-hmm. commonsensically? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So I'm glad that that it got 573 comments with people going, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> well, there was even that that sort of comment on the the Shatner board. I mean, it wasn't a huge topic, um, but you know, people were going, "This this doesn't make any sense." You know, very people came out. Very few people came out and expressed. Um, well, as an atheist or as a religious person, I feel such and such. I did, you know, post. I'm an atheist, and mm-hmm. this makes no sense at all. Yeah. But um, and somebody else said, I'm not an atheist, and this makes no sense. At all. <laughs> so you know, it was like, great. Nobody agrees with you, jerk. <laughs> so bad. So yeah. Bad. And the thing is, it's such an interesting title. Why atheists need Captain Kirk? Yeah, I mean, why? What? What? Tell me, you know. And then I'm reading it. I'm going, hey, did I suddenly no longer have the ability to understand the written word because I really? can't figure this out? I would like to write an article about why atheists need Captain Kirk, and it would be all about why he would be a great leader. You know. <laughs> That would be really interesting. Yes, I yes. Like Why we all need Captain Kirk. Yeah. We yeah. all need him. Yeah. Uh, so I agree. And yeah, I had seen that and I just could not believe what a stupid, stupid article that was. Oh, I know. I just, uh Really bad. Just idiotic. So, okay. Anyway, I just had to get that in there. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing it up because I had sort of forgotten about it. Yeah. Um, so I will, let's see, uh, there's that. I'm going through the list of all these things. Oh, let me talk about this really briefly. Okay. And we'll see what else we can fit in because I know we're coming up on our time here. But this is a really good article. So this was in New York Magazine, and it's called The Most Feminist Moments in <gasps> Science Fiction History. Yes, I and love it's this. it's really, really good. It's got a lot of really good moments, and some of it is about publishing and stories that were written. Some of it's about movies. Some of it's about TV. And it goes chronologically. And I was delighted to see that Star Trek is featured in here quite a lot. So, as it should be. Yeah. So um, one of the moments is Nichelle Nichols, who debuts as Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek. So not only that she was a woman, but that she wasn't a white woman. So that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that B. Joe Trimble was the one responsible for the Save Star Trek campaign. Thank you very much for not um, meant, you know, saying that it was guys who organized it. Cause it fan wasn't, boys, yeah, yeah. It wasn't fanboys. It was her and a lot of fangirls. Um, mentioning that the very first Star Trek convention was run by women. Yay! You know, thank you for recognizing that because, again, the misconception is always that it's the fanboys who are doing these things. Mm-hmm. But no, it's really the women who are in charge of a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one more. Oh, and, of course, the first um, female captain of a starship, Janeway. Yes. Yep. Well, and I, I, I really enjoyed this a lot, and I've got to point out two other things in this article that I really liked seeing that were not Star Trek. One was uh, Ellen Ripley kicks mm-hmm. ass in Alien, which is fantastic. And the other one is the sex change they gave Starbuck yes. in uh, Battlestar Galactica. Because mm-hmm. I have to tell you, from the minute I, I you know first started watching that, when that character showed up, I went, oh my <laughs> God, I love this show. 
And if she had not been in it, I would not have been a devoted, as devoted a follower as I was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never written fanfic or, you know, anything like that. But I loved that character so much mm-hmm. for just being who she was. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's great. So I encourage everyone to go and read this whole article because there's so much good stuff in it. And um, there's a little blurb about each one that has more than we've been just skimming over right mm-hmm. now. But it's great. And I just love seeing Star Trek there. It's so good. Yep. Yeah. And I really, it, I did, I know I, I like lit up when I, when I, I saw the one about women running the first cons. I went, yes, you know, because I mean, We've talked about that, and we talked about that when we talked with John Tenuto, Mm -hmm. and it's an important fact. Mm -hmm. People can't just ignore it and can't just treat it like it was the exception, you know, like, like, oh, well, they, they, the women managed to do this one convention. Like, Mm -hmm. no, it wasn't that. It was most of them and the fanzines and all the, the newsletters and everything else that went into Mm -hmm. early fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yay. Yay us. Yay us. Yeah. We're part of a long tradition. We do important we, work. Very important we work. do. And we're clever and compelling we, about it. We are. <laughs> it's true. Now, um, I want to mention that um, you have some stuff in the mail that I mailed this week that's on its way to you. I know, but it's not here yet. I know. It's not there yet, but it's going to be there soon. I think it definitely will be there by the time we do our next show, but don't okay. open anything. I and won't. Then, when you open one of them, I have a story to tell you about how, how it came to be. So, of course... Oh, know, this just gets better and better and better. Nothing could ever go smoothly. There had to be a story. So, that this will be good, and I think everyone will enjoy it. Oh, great. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I think we better wrap this up, because we've uh, been well, talking for an awfully long time. Yes, we really, really have. Yeah. Um, but, again, everybody, please, if you have any idea, something you'd like... Up to here, like us to do for show 200. Mm-hmm. Send it. Send it. Please send it. Because otherwise, you know, you might just end up for an hour listening to the soundtrack to an episode. That could be episode 200. <laughs> With us blabbing about it. Yeah, exactly. So no visuals. You know, no just, visuals. Just... This wouldn't be riff tracks. Yeah, <laughs> <sighs> yeah we'll have to, to come up with something. Yep. So please, guys, do your homework. Send us notes. Um, send us little bits of information. Check out all the stuff that we've linked there. And let us know about um, how you think Kirk would be as, as a one-night stand lover, because we want to know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, everyone, thank you so much for listening and sticking with us through 190-plus shows. And 200 will be a good show, we promise. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.